It's a new technology being used to control livestock movement called virtual fencing. Today we talk with Chad Boyd, research leader for the USDA's Ag Research Service in Burns, Oregon, about their study on utilizing virtual fencing and the practicality of seeing it implemented on a ranch in this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. Justin Mills, your host here for the Working Ranch Podcast, and I have to tell you that I'm excited about our topic today because I was made aware of virtual fencing a few years ago, and it's something that I've really been interested in. And this week, I've been participating in the Society for Range Management's virtual annual conference and learned a little bit more about that. So uh, before we get too far, though, down the road, I do want to give a shout out to Jess Peterson, Kelly Fogarty, all the staff at the SRM office, as well as the officers and directors of the Society for Range Management for stepping out, doing their annual meeting in this online conference type setting so kind of a little bit different but it's been very good and i would encourage you if you haven't had an opportunity check it out their website is rangelands.org anyway as i said earlier our topic for this episode is on virtual fencing so stay with us we'll be getting to that in just a moment a big thank you to our sponsors for the working ranch podcast the american simmental association for low risk high potential calves with earning potential I can tell you right now, you can be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Also, a thank you to our other sponsors, the King Ranch Institute of Ranch Management and the American Hereford Association. Well, the Working Ranch Podcast, it's a collaborative effort. We work with Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by American ranchers. And if you have not already read all of the articles in your latest copy that has come out, there is one I would point you to. And I'll tell you right now, in my opinion, this is one of the biggest costs and annual losses that some ranchers never figure. And it's called cow depreciation. Troy Smith has a great article on page 48 on cow depreciation. Check it out. Just a couple things on the calendar. As I said earlier in our podcast this week, I've been taking part of the Society for Range Management's 2021 virtual annual meeting that continues through uh, the uh, rest of this week. If you, like I said, if you haven't had an opportunity, check them out. You can check that out online at rangelands.org. Next week, I will be taking part of NCBA's virtual winter conference. That's called the 2021 Winter Reboot, and that's going to be February 23rd and 24th next week. You too can also be a part of these, so go ahead and check them out if you have the time. Right now, we're going to check in with the Captain Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, Working Ranch podcast listeners. It's a little frosty out there for some of you. I posted on Facebook here uh, early in the week and just said, hey, um, I know it's cold out there for a lot of folks that aren't used to it. God bless y'all. And uh, something interesting happened, Justin. It's it's almost like folks, um, like they just unified, which is something that I can never get enough of in this world, in this industry. And a lot of the folks that had never experienced with the northern tier ranchers like yourself, and, and I've certainly had a frozen toe or two in my cowboying days. 
they have a better appreciation for that type of a um, of a situation and 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 how the northern folks have to deal with it. I'm really proud of the way you guys uh, unified on our Facebook page about that, and I hope the best. And I just think any time that we can work to understand a little bit about who each other is and our trials and tribulations, the better off we're going to be in the long run as uh, beef producers, neighbors, and friends. God bless y'all. This is Tim's Two Cents. Thanks, Captain, and thanks for pointing out some good that's happening in our world. Lord knows we kind of need some good information, some good news, and to hear of the good heart in our people across American agriculture. Also wishing the best for everyone in getting through this extreme cold weather across the country. Well, stay with us, because coming up after this break, we're going to learn about virtual fencing. We'll be back after this. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Now, a few years ago, I learned about a couple companies that were in development of virtual fencing. And what piqued my interest was whether or not this new technology could someday be used in my efforts towards intensive grazing here on the ranch. Now, at the time, I was stringing an awful lot of temporary hot wire to divide up many of my larger pastures into smaller paddocks. But the idea of virtual fencing seemed to me to possibly be a useful concept at some point. Now, as I said earlier in this episode, I have been able to take part of the Society for Range Management's virtual meeting this week. Now, one of the hot topics was on virtual fencing, a study that had been done in Oregon. So joining me today is Chad Boyd, who is a rangeland ecologist and research leader for the Agricultural Research Service in Burns, Oregon. And first, Chad, explain the study that you guys did and what you have done using virtual fencing. Yeah, so our study uh, was on a really specific application, and we can talk more about broader applications, but a really specific application. Uh, we see a, a lot of instances in our part of the world where we have really big pastures. It's not uncommon common to have, say, a 10,000-acre pasture where a portion of a pasture gets burned, and uh, often this is on public um, grazing allotments, public lands grazing allotments, and generally you're looking at two years rest uh, of that burned area. Um, in accordance with uh, federal land management policy, or you fence off the area. Well, fencing off an area on public lands can easily get tied up in in, uh, procedural ongoings. And so oftentimes um, grazing is is stalled out for for two years. So we started thinking about this idea of virtual fencing. And uh, could we use virtual fencing as a potential solution to that problem? And we didn't want to get into it in a big way because, honestly, uh, Justin, we had no idea if this was going to work. 
um, it, it sounded, it's one of those things that sounded a little bit too good to be true. So we tried it on a pretty small scale. We actually tried it in five acre pastures. So uh, at our research range, which is managed by Ag Research Service here near Burns, Oregon, uh, 16,000 acre research range in typical sagebrush steppe country. And we had some experimental pastures that are five acres in size and there were six pastures and they were all right next to each other. And we went in the fall before we did the study and burned about 30% of each of those pastures. So we're simulating a really small scale version of what happens uh, unfortunately on a frequent basis in larger pastures in our part of the world with, with fire burning a part of that pasture. Um, we then uh, used virtual fence collars and before we turned the, uh, to try to keep the animals out of the burn, before we did that, <clears throat> we needed to train the animals. And training with the, the particular collars that we used, which were from the Vince Corporation, and um, full disclosure, I'm not a salesman for Vince, that this happens to be the product that we use. Um, but we, we trained the animals in a dry lot um, that was probably 100 yards um, on a side. And that process lasted five days. And basically, we made two of the fences hot. And what that means is that as the cattle approached those fence, they received an auditory signal from the collar, a beeping noise. And if they got too close to the fence, they got a shock. And with this, with these particular collars, they only shock on one side of the animal, um, which is pretty well thought out because it's like uh, when you're riding a horse, if you, if you apply pressure with your right leg, that horse is going to move off of pressure to the left. And so because the contact points on the collar are only on one side, they'll change their direction of travel. And over about five days, they, those cattle learned uh, what the beeps were and that they're going to be followed by a shock if they keep heading in the direction they're headed. And we, um, at that point, we um, moved them into the trial pastures. And the trial pastures, we had six of them. And three of the pastures, uh, we had virtual fence barriers set up. They were programmed into the collar. And as the cattle approached the burned area, they'd hear the beep. If they got too close to the burned area, they'd get a shock. And in the remaining three pastures, um, we tracked the animals because these are GPS collars, so you can get satellite tracking information. We tracked the animals and where they were. Were they in the burn? Were they in the uh, unburned portion of the pasture? But we didn't have any shock or, um, or auditory cues for the animals. And long story short, what we found was that uh, the control animals, the ones that did not have the virtual fence cues turned on, definitely preferred the, uh, the burned area um, in that preference decreased over time as forage availability declined in the burned area. They kind of ate it all up. <clears throat> but the virtual fence cattle uh, pretty much stayed out of the burned areas. Um, one exception to that in one of our pastures, uh, one of the cattle in the pastures, and we had three cows per pasture, these were dry cows, um, one of the animal's collars became inverted. It, it basically got flipped, so the contact points weren't, weren't making contact with the neck, so it couldn't receive a shock. And in that pasture, we had about 2% utilization of the burned area, but we, um, we replaced that cow on day two of, of the 14-day trial. And after that, we didn't have any utilization in any of the burned areas. So the technology worked pretty well. It's, I wouldn't call it a, an iron gate technology. Um, it's, it's a technology, you know, because it's not 100%. In our case, it was probably user error was the reason it wasn't 100% in keeping the cows out of the burned. But I think a person's better off thinking about it as um, 
as a system that gives cues to the animal that helps them to make foraging decisions that are more in line with your management expectations than they otherwise would. And um, it's, it's a lot in that sense, Justin, it's a lot like low stress livestock handling. Chad, explain what it takes to set this up. What was the equipment that you had to use? Uh, from the, I, you, you described a little bit about the collars, but what else was set up? You bet. So um, let's take it from the collar and work back to the end user. Um, the collar itself communicates with satellites. And so even if you have no other, no, on, no real-time communication with the collar, um, let's say that topography limits your ability to communicate with the collars with the base station, which I'll talk about next, um, the collars can still stay programmed to keep an animal out of a certain area. So they have that information on board. They, they talk to satellites. Satellites tell them whether they're where they should be or, or approaching an area where they shouldn't be. Okay, then there's a base station. And the, what the base station does is allow the end user to communicate with the collar uh, which means that you can change uh, the areas where you want them to be or don't want them to be. And you can also track their, um, their location in almost real time. It's about a five-minute time lag. Okay, so the base station talks to the caller with a radio signal. The base station then uses a cellular link to communicate um, with basically with the Internet, with the cloud. Uh, and it stores the animal locations there. And then the end user can log on to the Internet and log on to the base station and um, change the parameters of where the animals need to be, see where the animals are in near real time, that sort of thing. So it's, it's sort of a complicated chain, but again, if, if you've got, uh, and we haven't experimented with this part, but according to the company, if you've got some rough topography that, say, limits communication between the base station and the collar, the collar still has the coordinates programmed into it that tell the caller where you want the cattle to be, where you don't want them to be. You just can't track them in real time. Chad, Vince Corp is who you worked with, but I know there are other companies developing this technology. Do you know, is their technology similar in regards to the animal devices and other hardware? You know, I think the the principles are the same, but each of those companies is going to have its own proprietary technology that they're probably not going to talk about a lot. Um, and I can only speak to um, my experience with the, with the Vince Corporation. Um, and again, I'm not here to be a salesman for their products. Um, that's just who we dealt with in this particular experiment. Um, one, one of the things I would say is that um, th- there's two things that I would get straight right off the bat if I, were think- if I were a private producer thinking about using this. And one of them is you need to get your objectives straight. And if your objectives are cattle cannot under any circumstances go in this area over here, then virtual fencing may not be for you. Um, if you want to drastically reduce the use of certain areas or uh, for, for the most part keep cattle in, in other areas of, of, of your pastures, then virtual fencing is – I think it's a good tool and based on our experience so far, but it's, again, it's not an iron gate and people shouldn't expect it to be. The other thing is, and this gets back to your um, question about the, the other companies, what I would encourage people to do is to look at the technology of whatever company they want to deal with, but more, almost more importantly, Justin, is look at the people you're dealing with because Um, virtual fencing, we had great success with it, but it wasn't in a vacuum. We had great success with it in our initial trial. 
um, in large part due to our interaction with the company. And they had technical specialists that were on my speed dial and available for me to talk to if I had questions or needed to reprogram the caller somehow. So that that uh, service after the sale, so to speak, is going to be really important to uh, to setting you up to be successful if you do decide to use virtual fencing technology. So how close are we to seeing this more available to ranchers? We'll hear Chad's response to that question next. As well, later in the program, its potential use for intensive or mob grazing. Back after this. Kaching. More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400-cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. We're back here on the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And, you know, there is a viable need for ranch managers here in our industry. And you might have a pretty good college education or one from the School of Hard Knocks. But either way, there is a place, though, you can go to expand your ranch management skills that's going to elevate your career. And it's called the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. They offer a Master of Science in Ranch Management that teaches graduate students using a multidisciplinary systems approach to ranch management. Now, the King Ranch Institute's ranch management program prepares mature students to strategically manage diverse and complex ranching operations. Now, I've seen the list of alumni, and I'll just put it this way. It's simple. They're employed. Now, it's a two-year program with scholarships available, and right now through March 31st, They're accepting applications to this prestigious and industry-recognized Master of Science in Ranch Management program. So I invite you, be a part of the legacy at the only Master of Science in Ranch Management program in the world through the King Ranch Institute. Now, to find out more, you can go to king-ranch.com. Well, we continue now with our conversation with Chad Boyd, who is a rangeland ecologist and research leader for the Ag Research Service in Burns, Oregon. And we're talking about technology of virtual fencing. Now, Chad, you've had a very extensive work with virtual fencing through your study in eastern Oregon. So how close are we to this becoming a reality for the everyday rancher? I think we're pretty close. Um, I mean, the the little trial that we did... um, last last growing season we could have just as easily been um, an everyday rancher as opposed to government research group Uh, so i think that we're right on the cusp of my sense justin and this is just my reading of the tea leaves i think the technology is where it needs to be at to take off i think the question that, that i have is to what extent does this fit into business models from a profitability standpoint and to what extent does this fit into sociologic models? You know, ranching, ranching is a pretty traditional business. Not everybody's going to want to put GPS collars on their cattle. So, but I think the technology itself is, is poised uh, to do whatever it's going to do next, you know, ba- based on economics and sociology. But I think the technology is by and large there. So the next question I, I feel I can hear people asking is, okay, what are the costs associated with setting up a virtual fence? Yeah, you're, um, so you got two major costs, and the first cost is going to be your base station. 
and the base stations that, again, you use to communicate with the callers um, um, using a computer or e even a cell phone. Um, that's going to run you right now. We just ordered one. It's about 10 grand. Um, and that's for solar powered. Um, they Vince has in the past offered um, AC models uh, that that run off of uh, direct current or excuse me, alternating current. So AC and DC, right? The AC models are going to be a couple of grand cheaper. Uh, the solar powered models are going to um, this year be about 10,000. And that's just the Vince. I can't speak to the other corporations that are, that are in this game. And then the callers themselves, one of the things that attracted us uh, with the Vince uh, Corporation was that they lease the collars. And, and I don't know if other companies do that or not, but uh, this, this technology is evolving very quickly. And if you had to purchase some expensive collars, uh, one of the downsides to doing that is the technology in those collars um, may be obsolete here in a few years. And by leasing the collars, and we leased for, uh, for uh, the, the lease fee was 40 bucks uh, per year, by leasing the collars, you're able to, to get around that, um, you know, getting in a situation where you, you pay a lot of money for collars that may become obsolete. And as I understand it, um, the lease fee on collars can be negotiated uh, downward. I don't know how far downward if you're buying in bulk, but again, we paid, um, we paid about 40 bucks per collar. And those are really the two expenses that you're going to be looking at. But again, um, when, when, when you're looking at purchasing equipment for virtual fencing, make sure that technical support is included in that purchase. And if it's not, you need to figure out a way to get it and if there's going to be any additional cost to that, because that's going to be important to helping you be successful with the technology. Now, when you guys started down the road of this, you specifically were going to use it to keep cattle off of a burned area. That was your research uh, study started there. But I know you started down this also to think beyond just that and where do you think this could head and and be in several years in terms of benefit to the rancher sure yeah and i can give you some specifics but i'd just start out by generally saying that you know if i'm a rancher and i could think about what problems could i solve or what opportunities could i take advantage of if i could control where my cattle are on the landscape inside of the perimeter fencing in my pastures you know and you can, folks can fill in their own blanks there. Um, and I think any of those blanks would be serviceable by virtual fencing type technology uh, if it was a good fit economically for the rancher. But in terms of specifics uh, that are on our minds, and when I say our minds, I, I'm with the Ag Research Service, but we work closely with Oregon State University um, on these projects. Uh, the project we've got going next year is uh, fuel brakes are a big issue uh, across the West right now. And one of the things we want to do is see if we can graze fuel brakes in a larger pasture setting. And this is going to be about a 1500 acre pasture uh, using the virtual fencing technology. So we're going to try to create a, a fuel brake that's about 200 yards wide and uh, probably a mile and three quarter long. And we're going to do that with cow calf pairs, which will be interesting because we uh, the collars are not meant for calves. The collars that we used are meant for, for um, mother cows. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the technology works when calves are testing mom's limitations <laughs> of mm -hmm. patience. Yeah. Um, the, so fuel brakes would be uh, an example. 
Then there's the question of well, what do you do between the fuel breaks? Okay. So if we're going to manage fuels between the fuel breaks, cattle don't distribute themselves evenly across the landscape. But um, we do have the ability now with uh, emerging satellite technologies to figure out where the uh, fuel accumulations, where those grass fuel accumulations are on the landscape. Some of the tools can give us biomass estimations, or you could think of it as grass fuel estimations, with about a two-week time lag. So what if you could take those uh, data, those remotely sensed biomass data, and use that to draw polygons about with respect to where your cattle want to graze in a fuels management scenario, mm-hmm. and then uh, use virtual fencing to keep the animals within those polygons. That's that's sort of the pie in the sky uh, dream from a fuels management standpoint that's in my head right now. And then just other uses too, like um, riparian areas. That's something I know that Oregon State University is very interested in. Can we use these, especially where you've got, um, and this applies to a lot of the Northwest, anadromous fish, you know, um, salmon and steelhead. Um, there's some really tight riparian regs that are on those streams from a grazing standpoint. And can we use the technology to help keep those animals uh, or minimize the use of, of riparian areas and also weed management. That's honestly what got me interested in this to begin with. I was talking to a colleague with U.S. Fish who was wondering if they could use grazing uh, inside of a refuge that didn't have any interior fences anymore. And he heard about this uh, virtual fencing technology, and that's that's um, that's another potential application is, you know, point kind of point source grazing of specific problem areas with, with respect to weeds. Well, stay with us. We'll talk about the potential that virtual fencing has with intensive or mob grazing after this. Sound familiar, right? It should. Part of the commercials that you've been hearing for the past year from the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. We've talked a lot about it, but have you tried it? So let's just talk plainly, candidly. No music, no ha-ha, funny sound bites. Just rancher to rancher. The Feeder Profit Calculator is free. There's no hidden costs. Now, they can't promise that because you use the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator this upcoming marketing season that your calves are going to blow the doors off the sale barn. They can't promise that. But, but here's what they can say, that if you get an extra dollar for those calves, does it make a difference? Well, 100 calves at 500 pounds and a dollar more this fall gives you an extra $500 to the paycheck, and it didn't cost you anything but a few hours worth of work. So you know what happens when you do nothing? Nothing. The IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. It's free. It's fast. Period. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We head into our final segment now with Chad Boyd, rangeland scientist with USDA's Ag Research Service in Burns, Oregon. And we turn towards the discovery of a practical application that has appealed to me, and that is with intensive grazing or mob grazing of livestock. So, Chad, based upon your experience, do you think that virtual fencing could be used for intensive or mob grazing? I, I think you could. Now, I'm getting ba- I'm getting beyond the boundaries of my experience with the technology, but I do know um, of people who are using virtual fencing to actually move cattle. And the way they do it, if you could picture two pastures in your head, just two square pastures right next to each other, and there's a perimeter fence around um, around the pastures, but there's not an interior fence that divides them, right? So how mm-hmm. would you use virtual fencing to move cattle from pasture one and the pasture two? The way you do it is 
um, you uh, let's say you have initially had a virtual fence line that split this. Um, well, let's just say it split a pasture in two. How about that? And the cattle are in the left half. Mm-hmm. What you would do is you'd turn off that virtual fence and then you would program the collars such that as the animal moved into the right half of the pasture where you wanted to move them to, their collars would turn back on, if that makes sense. So you mm-hmm. turn off the collars, the animals cross over eventually just by random process or following each other, cross over into the right half of the pasture. And as soon as they do, you turn the their specific collar back on. So now they're deterred from going over into the left part of the pasture. That's the basic principle of how you would move animals around in a landscape using virtual fencing. You're just turning on and off the virtual fence. Uh, you're turning it off so that they can move out of the area that, that they're in now to a new area. They get to the new area, you turn it back on, keeps them from going back to the old area. What do you think the economic benefits are for this? And maybe it's just what you've talked about before and just better pasture utilization uh, for some is going to be a, a big economic benefit. But are there any other economic benefits that you would see? You know, there's there's direct and indirect. Um, from, from an indirect standpoint, I think uh, anything that you can do that helps to you to sustain forage production over time from a fuels management standpoint uh, could be an economic benefit. Um, but the, the other is fencing itself. You know, if, if you haven't, if you have a temporary need to keep animals somewhere um, and you start thinking about the, the economics of fencing, and I'm not an economist, I'll be quite honest about that, but I know about what a uh, five strand barbed wire fence cost in our country. It's, you know, you're looking at probably $10,000 a mile. And if so, if you've got a temporary need to move cattle somewhere and you don't want to pay $10,000 a mile to put it in and then maybe take it out later because your need was only temporary. Anytime you get into a situation like that, the idea of uh, temporary fencing, whether it's virtual fence or some sort of electric fencing, starts to become um, a lot more appealing. Well, Chad, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. We didn't get a chance to go into it, but I know that they are planning to continue their research this summer, so it's going to be interesting to see how those results come out. I know it's going to be beneficial to us as ranchers looking at this, but also to the businesses investing in bringing this new technology to the ranching industry like Vince Corporation. By the way, now if you'd like to find out more about the Vince Corporation that Chad had talked about, again, we're not selling anything here, just kind of passing along information their web address is vince like fence but with a v vince.io well before i go another thank you to my guest today chad boyd with the usda ag research service in burns oregon and also a thank you to the folks at the society for range management for letting me be a part of their virtual conference this week specifically to kelly fogarty there in the srm office for helping to line up my interview with chad a thanks to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, for Tim's two cents. And also, I want to let you know, the captain called me just a bit ago as I was about to finish up our episode, letting me know that there was some late-breaking news out for livestock haulers and those of us that rely on trucks to move our livestock around. As the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has now extended the expanded modified emergency declaration number 2020-002, they've extended that into May 31st. Now, originally, this declaration started last year due to COVID-19, and it provided regulatory relief for many 
many aspects of the trucking industry here in the United States. That includes livestock and livestock feed. So good news on that front. And like I said, this news just coming off the wire here today. And before we go, a thank you to our sponsors, the American Simmental Association and the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator, Sim Genetics, Profit Through Science, Find out more at Simmental.org. The King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, where you can take your ranch management opportunities to the next level with the only Master of Science in Ranch Management program in the world through the King Ranch Institute, now taking applications through March 31st. And finally, a thank you to the American Hereford Association. This has been a production of The Working Ranch Magazine, and if you have questions, ideas for topics of the show, or would like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS, or you can shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.